Our Father, we are here today because Jesus is worthy. Oh, Father, we thank you. Scripture reminds us, your holy word reminds us at the end in Revelation that there will be those from every kindred and tribe and people and nation who will proclaim worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor. And oh God, today we are privileged to get a jump start at that. You are worthy. Thank you. Oh, Father, I thank you for the songs we could sing this morning. We thank you for the melodies, the lyrics, all of them pointing to your goodness, your grace, your power, your glory. And I pray now, Father, that as we open your word that you would take these truths that we see from John 12 and through other portions of your holy word that you would take these truths and, and drive them, plant them deep into our hearts. That there it would bear the fruit of true followers of Jesus Christ. God, I pray from youngest to oldest now that you would encourage our hearts, that we would grow. Thank you, thank you, thank you that we could be here today. Let us not take this for granted. And our Father, when we bring these requests to you, when we bring these songs of praise to you, when we enjoy fellowship, and when we do exactly what we're doing right now, we pray, Father, all of this we do not based on our own preconceived merit, but we do this through the name of Jesus. So our Father, this morning we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, just uh, welcome. It is so good to see all of you here today. I hope that your heart has been prepared to study God's Word this morning. For those of you who may be new with us this morning, what will happen now is we will take, take the next segment of time, anywhere from 30 minutes to 2 hours and 30 minutes. <laughs> Sorry, my kids say I joke about the time every single Sunday. But uh, we will take the next segment of time with the young ones here with us this morning. It probably won't be as long as we normally do. Um, but uh, we're going to take this next segment of time, and we are going to dig into God's Word. And so I hope that your heart has been prepared. This week will be a continuation of our study last week. Um, by the way, there are handouts in the bulletins you have there or online. You can find these. This will help you to follow through with our discussion today. Um, it will also keep me on task. <laughs> There's twofold reason for these handouts here, but you can enjoy following along if you would like with these handouts. Last week we studied 
this over Palm Sunday and the Passion Week that was observed this week. Some call it the Holy Week. We studied about the King who must suffer. Last week, we interacted with this key truth. Here it is. In God's sovereign plan, the eternal king was to endure suffering. My heart has been overwhelmed this week. As a family, we tried to track through the scriptures as to what Jesus was going through every single day. I found myself on Friday morning just a bit overwhelmed. All of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. When we think through the story of the Passion Week, the Holy Week, King Jesus endured extreme suffering. On Thursday, Jesus was betrayed and arrested. On Friday, Jesus was beaten. He was crucified by 9 a.m. And he was dead by 3 p.m. So much is recorded about this in scriptures that we're not even going to hardly touch today. But we know this, that Jesus Christ, the eternal God in the flesh, suffered and bled and died. Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was denied by another of his disciples, and he was abandoned by all of his disciples. Jesus had been deceitfully accused, bullied by religious leaders. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, was unjustly tried by godless rulers. Jesus was ruthlessly rejected by his own people. Jesus was severely beaten by Roman soldiers. And Jesus was brutally nailed to a humiliating cross. In God's sovereign plan, the eternal king must suffer. He endured suffering. We closed out last week with the question, why? Why all of this? Why any of this? One of the greatest expressions of the purpose of this is found in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53. Prophesied 700 years before Jesus Christ even came. Where Isaiah the prophet says this, He, referring to Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us, here's the word, peace. And with His wounds we are healed. Truly, in God's sovereign plan, the eternal King was to endure suffering. But my friends here today, praise God Almighty that this suffering was not the rest of the story for King Jesus. 
Praise God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise God that although he was mocked for being an incapable king of the Jews, he proved to be the supreme king of all creation. Praise God, my friends, that Sunday came. (laughs) Praise God that we are here today because we serve a risen Savior. Today we are going to interact with another key truth. Last week this key truth in God's sovereign plan, the eternal king was to endure suffering. We carry on this discussion, this biblical narrative into this key idea. Today's key truth, here it is. Through the resurrection, the eternal king became the supreme conqueror. Today, we're going to focus on this concept of conqueror. Jesus Christ, the supreme conqueror. When you hear the word conqueror, what comes to mind? What synonym might come to mind? What other words? Probably on your mind right now would be a word similar to this. Victor. Captor. Defeater. Maybe even such a word as champion. Certainly this word is consistent with the rest of your Bibles. It is this, hero. In fact, when I think of this, uh, we, when we were up in the mountains in Colorado at First Baptist Church in Leadville, there was a young boy, his favorite song for resurrection day was, he arose, because he didn't understand it. As a young critter, he, sa- he wanted to sing the hero song. <laughs> Heroes. So when we think of this conqueror, we're thinking about a hero, Jesus Christ. But what I want us to do today is kind of pick up where we left off last week in John chapter 12. So if you're not in John chapter 12, would you go to this text of Scripture right now? It's on the top of your handout there. I included verses 20 to 36 on the screen, but we're not going to be able to unfold all of these texts today. All of these verses. So we'll go through and catch the big idea of John 12, 20 through 36. You'll remember from our discussion last week the setting. What is the setting of John chapter 12? Well, the Jewish Passover was at hand. This is so key to the entire discussion the Passover. The Passover lambs were being carefully selected for the sacrifice, for the redemption of. God's people, then fulfilling all the details of God's written word on the Sunday prior to the Passover, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a what? Donkey. This is what we talked about last week, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. But all the symbolism behind Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey, this just shouts out Old Testament concepts and two primary concepts. One is humility, the other, peace. Jesus was not entering into Jerusalem to immediately wage war. Why? Because something else must happen first. What must happen first? The cross of Calvary. Jesus 
God in the flesh, was truly God's eternal king, but he was entering into his capital, Jerusalem, humbly and peaceably. Why? Because although he was God's eternal king, he was to suffer first as God's perfect Passover lamb. All of these concepts come together in John chapter 12. Now, through the first couple days of the Passion Week, as we think back through this week, as we think through what Jesus Christ went through, we find expressions through uh, the different records of the Gospels that Jesus Christ entered into several discussions. And every one of these discussions had amazing reason as to Jesus' purpose and intentions. One of those such discussions is on the screen right here. John chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. I want us to go through this morning and just unpack these verses. Seeing this discussions that's, these discussions that are happening, starting in verse 20. Would you look with me at verse 20? John records this. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast, we're talking about the Passover, were some Greeks. All right, a quick time out. The amazing intention behind the inclusion of these Gentiles in the story overwhelms my heart. You know what I want to yell out when I read that verse? Praise God! Why? Because you and I have been brought into the story. In John, as consistent with the theme of John, Jesus Christ came for God so loved the world. He didn't just love the Jews, the ethnic Jews. He loved His people, Jews and Gentiles alike. And very intentionally, in John chapter 12, Jesus brings into the picture the Jews and Gentiles. Well, verse 21. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I'm going to just say this. That is quite possibly the greatest request in human history. <laughs> Sirs, we want to see Jesus. I'm going to tell you there's several pulpits where that is a cross the front. Why? Because that is, again, the greatest request of all history that we would see Jesus high and lifted up. These Gentiles came to the picture here, traveling to the Passover feast, worshipers of Yahweh, and they said, we want to see Jesus Again, this is prior to Jesus going to the cross by several days. And the story reads in verse 22, Philip went to Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them. And before I read what Jesus answered them, this is anticipated all the way through the book of John until we get to John chapter 12. All the way through the book, we find these words. His time had not yet come. It was not yet time. And now, Jesus, in John chapter 12, says this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Okay, in the deep Greek, you'll read something like this. It's showtime. <laughs> it's go time! It is time for Jesus Christ to fulfill His intention that was set in eternity past. From before the foundations of the earth. And we read about this in the next couple chapters in John. That Jesus, it was His time to fulfill His messianic purpose to redeem, to go to the cross and suffer and die, and then to rise from the dead. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 24 of this text. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and what? Dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Think about what Jesus is saying with this metaphor. There's a necessity for death to happen. This suffering is not going to just be a little bruise. Death will be part of the equation here. Jesus Christ has hinted at this through his ministry with his disciples. Now he's saying this through metaphor. Guys, the grain, the kernel of wheat must go into the ground. But there's something that's going to happen after this, my friends. What's going to happen? And if you want to highlight or circle or underline anything in this text, underline this. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Basically, although they didn't understand this at the time, Jesus was telling them, telling the disciples and these Greeks that he would die. However, out of Christ's death would come much fruit, new life and growth. Christ now directly connects this fruit, here it is in the text, to people, his true followers, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the fruit of the cross. Here it is in verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Catch this. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the true gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are going, basically Jesus is saying this, if you are going to experience the fruit-bearing victory of the resurrection with me, you must release yourself from your self-consumed trust. By God's grace, be released from this self-consumed trust and this infatuation with yourself. And you must humbly find your satisfaction in the only one who can give you eternal life. Who is the only one that can give you eternal life? My friends, it is Jesus. And Jesus talks to these disciples, Andrew, Philip, these Greeks, and he says, you've got to trust me on this one. This kernel of wheat is going to go in the ground, but when it comes forth, it will bear much fruit. Bear much fruit for whom? 
for the followers of Jesus Christ who are truly in God through Christ. In Christ. Oh, so much more to say, but I want to jump down to verse 31. In verse 31, Jesus shares more clues about what this fruit-bearing victory is going to look like. Hang on with me. This bearing fruit not only involves new growth, it also involves the key word for our day, conquering. All right, this fruit involves fruit-bearing conquering. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Catch this. This conquering of Jesus will include two precise elements. Here it is. Victory over the sin of the world and victory over the ruler of this world. And who is this? Satan. Verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, when he dies, the next verse says, I will draw all people to myself, not just the Jews. I will also draw you and me to him. What has Jesus just just done in John 12? This is amazing. My friends, Jesus has just connected the two very important dots in theology. What is he connecting here? I like to think of it this way, this jigsaw puzzle. The pieces of the puzzle are coming together, and the word on the puzzle is God's redemptive plan. He's putting this together. What has he just done? Two things. He has just explained that he will be lifted up, just as the serpent in the wilderness. He will be lifted up. He will be crucified. But from this crucifixion will come fruit. Fruit would be born. He would bring victory to the people of the world who would truly trust in him. Believers from every kindred, tribe, people, and nation as we connect another book that John wrote by God's Spirit, Revelation. We need to realize something from this text, though. Okay, we're here 2,000 years later. What were the disciples thinking? What were those Gentiles thinking? They are thinking something not according to this. Uh, They are thinking simply on a physical level. Jesus, would you just rescue us from Roman oppression? From financial struggles? From political tyranny? Would you rescue us from this? And so what has Jesus just done? He's saying, oh, 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 your vision is so narrow. (laughs) Let me show you a bigger picture of what's going on. You think you have a problem with Roman oppression. You don't even know. (laughs) Jesus is saying, let me expose to you a much bigger problem you have. I am going to that cross not simply to just conquer Roman oppression. Not just to give you just some financial freedom. I am going to that cross to make a dynamic statement for all time. And the battle that I will be facing on that cross and through that resurrection proves that I will conquer sin. I will conquer death. And I will conquer Satan. That is the story of the resurrection. 
And so my friends, for the remainder of our time this morning, let's talk about the bigger issues Jesus dealt with in the resurrection. Starting with this one. Through the resurrection, King Jesus conquered death and provided new life. What about this death? This isn't just something that pops up in the New Testaments of your scriptures. My friends, this is in the very beginning of your Bibles. After Adam and Eve rebelled against a holy God, what happened? You remember this, it was promised to them. And we know that God will keep His word because He's always done that. He keeps His word and He told them, don't you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do this, you will surely die. The story of your Bible is how death happened. If you want to answer that question, go to Genesis 5. And he died, and he died, and he died. From one generation to another, death happened. Death happened all the way through the story of your Bibles. Who will conquer this death? Well, I believe Jesus is answering this in John 12. Verses 24 and 25, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then the next verse, we find out what this fruit looks like. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for what? Eternal life. Jesus Christ, through the cross and resurrection, has dynamically conquered death and provided new life. I mean, I, I included some other texts and scriptures just to, to prove this point. I love what Peter says, and last week we touched on this passage in Acts chapter 2. You'll remember the story, Pentecost, is the establishment of the New Testament church. 3,000 people hear the preaching of the word and come to Jesus Christ on that day. And what does Peter say in this sermon? Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, I'll just read them. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed by the, uh, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Then verse 25, here it is. But God raised him up. What's the next phrase after he said God's raised him up? Loosing the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. <laughs> oh, you think Jesus could be constrained by death. You forget that He is the one who provides new life. You can't hold Him down by death. And that's what Peter says. He loosed the pangs of death. One passage after another, but we cannot go through a resurrection day service without at least touching into the resurrection chapter. Because I love what Paul says here about Jesus Christ conquering death and providing new life. If you want a blessing today, sometime in the quiet afternoon, if there is such a thing, <laughs> if you take a nap and you get up, even though you might be a bit groggy, open your Bible and read 1 Corinthians 15. Here it is. I'm, I'm going to jump to verse 42, and I'll skip around a little bit. 
so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. We're talking about the resurrection. But then I love verse 53. I'm going to jump down to verse 53. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Isaiah 25, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly in this text, my friends, King Jesus conquered death and provides life. Practically, through the last two years, how many of you have had to hold on to these texts? I, again, like I said last week, I think of almost every family at Cross Point Community Church that at some point has gone through the death discussion with one of their loved ones. Maybe losing multiple loved ones or friends this last year. There has been multiple funerals held at this church this last year. And this passage is one of those passages that is read at almost every single one of these funerals and memorial services. Why? My friends, it's because we have to hold on to this. Death, where's your victory? Where's that sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm overwhelmed through my weeks thinking of just within the last year and a half, even two years ago, my brothers in Christ sitting in this very room. One of the dearest pictures I have is from taken right over here, scanning across our auditorium. And two of my brothers in Christ are standing here singing praise to Almighty God. This is the first Sunday back after we took a short reprieve online. Standing here with their wives praising God Almighty. My brother Ron and my brother Rick. Thinking through this last year too. Roger. Thinking you Rob. Thinking of believers who follow Jesus, who are now in the presence of Jesus. My friends, if there's ever a time for us to hold on to these texts, it is now. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, through the resurrection, conquered death and provides new life. Let us hold on to that with all we have. And let us go on to the next very simple expression, not very simple, but very practical expression of the resurrection. King Jesus not only conquered death and provides new life through the resurrection, King Jesus conquered sin and provided a new hope. This is in our John 12 text very clearly as we just read. 
Jesus says, now, so this is the hour has come, now is the judgment of this world. Through the glorification of the cross and the resurrection, Christ would bring condemning judgment on the sin of this world. In other words, Christ would be captor over the sin of this world. In our minds, let's, let's put some of this together. Because the Gospel of John is not the only text of Scripture that the Holy Spirit of God moved on John to write. We find the epistle, 1 John. And in this epistle, 1 John, John, through the Spirit, explains to us what this world is that was to be conquered. Here it is. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John 2. Check it out. What's, what's going on here? Jesus Christ, when He conquered, when He rose from the dead, He dynamically conquered sin, and He provided a new hope, a hope that you will never find in the pleasures of this world. A hope that you will only find in Jesus Christ. Again, this is through the Scriptures. I want to Highlight one text of Scripture, Colossians chapter 2, a book that is consumed with the fact that we are complete in Christ, the preeminent Jesus Christ. And in Colossians 2, catch this wording. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you are also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. So you have identified now with this Christ in hope. Verse 13 of Colossians 2. And you were who were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh. You didn't follow God's plans. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And now catch verse 14 of Colossians chapter 2. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside nailing it to the cross. How did Christ conquer your sin and my sin? It was nailed with Him to the cross of Calvary. Peter speaks of this hope. We've looked at this on resurrection days in the recent past. In 1 Peter 1, he talks very clearly of this resurrection hope that Jesus Christ conquered sin and provides new hope. I'm not going to dig into this, but 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My friends, you can't say it any more clear than that. Jesus Christ conquered sin and gave us hope. We've been in Romans chapter 6, 7 and 8, talking of this sanctification, now working into glorification. Romans 6 talks about the fact that Jesus conquered sin and provided hope. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with 
him. Again, the first part of Romans says this, the just shall live by faith, and that faith is in Jesus Christ. So many other passages that we could go to to simply prove this theme that when Jesus came, he conquered death and provided new life. He conquered sin and provided a new hope. If I could just make this very practical right now. We live in a world where we're constantly trying to grasp for some hope. The pain that we just sang about, do you feel the world is broken? We do. That's every day. We grasp for hope. You try to read about hope. You try to find hope. You try to make it through your day hoping that someone will give you a word of encouragement. My friends, if you want to find hope, true hope, living hope, lasting hope, look no further than Jesus Christ the righteous. Because he conquered death and provided hope. Let's look at one, very, one other very practical expression of this conquering. This victory that Jesus talks of in John, in John 12. Hopefully you all are hanging on. You hear? Hanging on here. Jesus conquered death, provided new life. Jesus conquered sin and provided new hope. Let us now look at this point that King Jesus conquered Satan and provided a new identity. This is huge in the New Testament of Scripture. And starting with the passage we're looking at, John 12, verse 31, Jesus clearly states this before he goes to the cross. What does he state? Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Last week we saw Genesis chapter 3. Here it is. Jesus is connecting the dots. Through the resurrection, the head of Satan would be crushed. This is made very clear by the author of Hebrews, and I'm just going to touch on a couple of quick passages. Hebrews, the theme of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. You're not going to find any, anyone or anything better than Jesus. Go to Jesus. Um, and in Hebrews chapter 2, we find these words, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So he was, this is Jesus incarnate. That through death he might, what's the purpose of his death? Here it is. He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. <laughs> and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to life long slavery. Here it is. Jesus conquered Satan and gave us a new identity. If you want to read about this identity, uh, we're not going to have time today to go into Ephesians 2. Read this after you get up from your nap and read 1 Corinthians 15. Read Ephesians 2. All right? In this text, you find that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But it's more than just death being dead to sins it very clearly says you were a slave to satan the prince of the power of the air he was yanking you around and you were following your flesh oh but as you get into ephesians 2 <laughs> but god who is rich in mercy for his great love with he loved us 
He made us alive in Jesus Christ. And as you go to Ephesians 2, you're going to find that you go from being a slave to Satan, the prince of the power of the air, to being a son of Almighty God through Jesus Christ. From, sonship, from slavery to being an heir in Jesus Christ. How does that happen, my friends? It happens because Jesus rose from the dead. I think in my mind, though, I, I think very practically. And let's finish off what we're talking about today with some very strong practicality here. Yeah, but look at the world around you. Still broken. Andrew, you're telling me that Jesus rose 2,000 years ago, but it's still broken. Why? I love the story of the Bible that we connect ourselves to God's redemptive plan. My friends, the story's not over. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He was raised victoriously, but then there's this period in redemptive history that includes you and me. It's called the church, the ones who are to shine the light of the resurrected king in a broken, dark world. And that is where we exist. Even though death, sin, and Satan have been conquered because we still live in this old world, we still experience the reality of the pain of this old world. However, I think there is great wealth in going to the end of the story like we talked of last week. (laughs) Cannot wait for the end of the story. And so we read about this in the book of Revelation. I didn't include this on your handout, but in Revelation 19 through 21, I just want to read a little bit of how this is all going to work out. In Revelation 19, verse 11, we see this. John, again, the author, the human author that the Spirit used to write the Gospel of John is now writing Revelation, and here we find it. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Oh, how much more I would prefer a white horse than a young donkey. The donkey must happen in Jerusalem, but now we have the white horse conquering. Here it is. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. So from humble peacemaker, now we have faithful and true. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This will happen. That's Revelation 19. When you travel into Revelation 21, we see what about this old punk? Satan. What's going to happen to this guy? Verse, 20, or verse 10 of Revelation 20 says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Jesus will do this. Satan will be crushed. And then, our hearts are crying for more. And so we travel into Revelation chapter 21. Would you, my friend, even if you need to close your eyes for a second, would you meditate with me? You don't have to. But would you listen as we meditate on the words of Revelation 21 this morning as we close out our time? Then I saw a new heaven 
and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. All of what we just read in Revelation chapter 20 is possible. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, let's make it even more practical. You cannot have revelation in your Bible if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. All of the promises that we find at the end of the scriptures are there. Why? Because Jesus, on the Sunday morning after the Sabbath rest in the grave, dynamically rose from the dead. We were talking about this last night. Oh, to see this happen. To see this lifeless body of Jesus on, in the grave clothes and all of a sudden you see this chest raise in breath. To see the fingers twitch, the toes twitch. Jesus leans up, takes off the grave clothes, busts out of the grave. Friends, this is no fairy tale. This happened. And because this has happened, we know that sin has been conquered, death has been conquered, Satan has been conquered. So what? A lot of words I just, and I do, I get excited about this stuff. A lot of, a lot of stuff we looked at today. How is this going to change the way we act this week? We get in these cars in just a minute. How's it going to change the way we see people, our actions, and our reaction? Because that's really what it comes down to. I, I need to say this. John eleven twenty five. So right before John 12, we find John 11. What happened in John 11? Jesus rose his friend from the dead. dead. Remember this? Lazarus. There are some here, and this is how I pray that this dynamically changes your life. There's some of you in here that have gone to Easter services since you were two years old. You went to listen to wonderful teachers who've taught you all about this Jesus, told you all the stories, but you have never come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. My friend, the words of John eleven twenty five are for you. John eleven twenty five, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he will live again. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. We're talking about eternal death. But then at the tail end of this verse, what does he say? Do you believe this? I have that exact same question for you today. 
The same question that Jesus Christ himself posed to this fa- these people around Lazarus' grave. My question is this for you, my friend. Do you truly believe this? Young to old alike. I don't care if you've been in church since you were two. I don't care if you're a teenager and you've memorized all these verses. You heard the story over and over and over again. Do you believe in Jesus? John tells us exactly why the book of John was written. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today? There's no mistake that you are here. God Almighty has been drawing you to himself. But today, my friend, in repentant faith, would you admit that you are a sinner in need of a rescuer? Would you believe that Jesus Christ is the only rescuer? Would you call on Jesus Christ to save your soul today? There will be several of us at the end of this service that will be standing around here. The foyer are here. There's other friends sitting around you. My friend, do not get into your car without settling this today. Your eternal destiny. Your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now for those of us who have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, I want to close out this service by going back to 1 Corinthians 15. And just brief mention, at the tail end of this resurrection chapter, we find these words to encourage us in our walk today. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. My brother and sisters in Christ, in this broken world, don't stop. Persevere in the name of Jesus Christ. When you go to work tomorrow, having not received much of a nap today and still tired, persevere in the name of Jesus Christ. When you go to school and you're mocked for being that Jesus person, persevere in the name of Jesus. When you go to the sports field and everyone around you is consumed with that ball, don't be ashamed to enjoy that ball and kicking it around, but to be consumed with Jesus. Let us be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So God, we thank you for this time we could spend in your word today. Oh God, let us be so charged up about this resurrection. (laughs) Give us grace, we pray, in this broken world to not just rejoice with and, and worship this resurrected Jesus, but to live for this resurrected Jesus. Give us grace, we pray. My friends here today, as I just mentioned, it's no mistake that you're here. God has drawn you to worship corporately at Cross Point Community Church this day, April 17th, 2022. God is doing a work in your heart. If you have never come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, oh, might I implore you, compel you, to come to Jesus Christ in saving faith today. Don't delay. Come.
for the salve of your soul. Come to the well that will never run dry. Come to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Those of you who have come to Jesus, in the quietness of this moment, would you pray God's grace for you this week to live for this resurrected King? Every choice you make, every thought you think, that it would be consumed with the resurrected Jesus. God, we thank you for the time we had today. Oh God, I thank you for the young ones sitting in this room. I thank you for the parents who have obeyed you and brought their children to learn of you in direct compliance to the word of God. Thank you. God, I thank you for the listening ears, but more than anything, I thank you for the word of God that shows us Jesus. I pray, God, as we close out with this anthem of praise, that it would come from hearts of humility and that it would be transformed into actions this week. That we would not simply be hearers of the word, but we would be doers. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the time we could spend in your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, thank you for joining us today for our Resurrection Day celebration. I pray that these words would mean something to you, that you would take these into every choice you make this week. Some of you came today ready to share worship through sharing your resources. We're not going to pass any offering place. There's boxes in the back if you'd like to participate that way. Let us stand together and let us close with this anthem of praise. If you know this song, would you sing it heartily? If you don't know it, would you meditate on the truths on the screen? Let us sing together all hail the glorious